Welcome to Relaunch, the real estate podcast focused on helping you find your success in real estate. My name is Lauren Cooper. I am an active real estate sales representative just north of Toronto, Canada. The whole purpose of this podcast is to bring you actionable content by interviewing the best of the best in this business, helping to take you from zero to hero in your real estate career. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. That is the Real Estate Launch Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Of course, every week we have special guests, but this one is extra special and magical. <laughs> uh, today, we welcome Mike Heddle. How are you, Mike? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. You've set some expectations. They're magical. That's uh, going to be an interesting expectation you've set for your for your listeners. <laughs> well, I thought you had a top hat in the background, you know, that you could pull out no. maybe some magic wand. No? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get started on some real stuff anyway. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and where you're located and what your business looks like today? Yeah, sounds good. So uh, I'm located in Hamilton. We cover a pretty big geographical area, really from Burlington uh, around the western part of Lake Air, uh, Lake Ontario into markets like Dundas, Ancaster, Stony Creek, and, and Grimsby. So uh, we do cover a fairly large geographical region, um, and I'm a team leader. That uh, there's there's five licensed agents, and our admin side is growing a little bit. We've just brought on a, a full-time marketing coordinator um, with Royal Page uh, State Realty. Uh, you know, we're fortunate to be awarded some pretty interesting awards within within the industry. We had a big year last year uh, with almost 300 transactions. Uh, so we do this every day of the week. We breathe, eat, uh, and sleep real estate. We're full-time agents and uh, love what we do. Fantastic. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got in the business or, or what you were doing before you even got in the business. Tell me a little bit sure. about Little Mikey. <laughs> Yeah, so so I stumbled into uh, into the industry, I guess like most of us have, uh, and I'm also very fortunate. I, I often say this: I, I grew up in a great environment. Both parents were working professionals uh, in the medical industry, uh, and came from a lineage. My grandfather was a GP. My father was a surgeon. So uh, there were expectations uh, you would think for many people as to following that path and getting into medicine. Uh, and interesting, my father said to me, uh, "Don't get into medicine. Medicine in Canada isn't what uh, it used to be." Um, so we spent some time actually spent, uh, looking at some offshore investment opportunities in Panama. This would have been about 2002. Uh, and I fell in love with uh, the idea of thinking of developing internationally or looking at real estate. And I came back, was finishing my last year of university at McMaster uh, and thought, you know, how else do I learn about real estate other than get my real estate license? <laughs> so my, my fourth semester uh, studying economics and, and commerce, I uh, started with the ARIA courses and, and started getting licensed and, uh, you know, began selling into real estate, uh, thinking that at one point in life, I'd be a international real estate developer. I don't even know if that title exists, uh, but it was a dream in my 20s and, uh, you know, really loved selling and, and, you know, that's what we do now. So fantastic. So ARIA, just for people that are listening that don't know, is the Ontario Real Estate Association. So that's where you take your courses to get licensed in Ontario. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic. So continue. Uh, so, you know, got into the business probably much, much like most of you, uh, not really knowing what to do. So uh, m my background was very, um, 
numbers oriented. I had a degree in, in engineering and economics. Um, and prior to that, actually, I, I got accepted into the uh, to Sheridan College. This is going back to a time when uh, animation was big. They just got a, a huge uh, injection in their animation program from Disney. Uh, uh, I spent a, a month in one of their semesters thinking I wanted to be an animator. I had this real creative component to me uh, that I realized it's not what I want to do. I put down my pencil and went into dove with the numbers. So it's been an interesting mix where I've got this creative element, um, but like diving into the numbers and, and we'll fast forward into why we work with investors, et cetera. But as I got my license, I really wasn't sure where to start. And I, I think you heard me tell this story. I haven't told it to many people because I was embarrassed of it for the longest time. My first phone call um, was uh, awoke me. I was spending time at my parents over the holiday season and uh, my phone rang. I was a licensed realtor. My phone rang and I thought, here it is, my first client. Uh, and the person on the other end of the line, uh, you know, said, hi, is this Mike Edel? I'm looking to sell my home. Uh, and boy, I jumped out of bed and scrambled to find a notepad uh, only to hear my sister burst into laughter on the other end of the phone playing a prank on me. And it was at that time that I truly realized my phone's not just going to ring. I have to do something to make it ring. I have to set up these affiliations or what I call feeders uh, into you know, referring us business. And uh, that was a big eye opener for me. And, and uh, I held it uh, against her for years and, and now I thank her for it. So that's cruel. That's, that's very yeah, cruel for sure. I remember what it's like in those early days and you're waiting and waiting and then you get a call and it's your sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, starting, I, I guess some advice I could give and, you know, starting with my first step and I do this with a lot of our agents, our onboarding system is really starting with your center of influence. To me, you know, there's 3,300 realtors in the Hamilton Burlington board. Um, you know, people aren't going to call you. I don't think because they like your photo on the sign or because you're number one, this is a people business and, and our clients, I believe you owe us because we're competent and because they trust us and we build a lot of rapport. So, you know, to me, the starting point was building out that center of influence, people I know, and, and just informing them, advising them that, you know, I'm getting into the industry. And I'll give my father-in-law a, a lot of great credit. He had a database back then. Um, and he said, yeah, why don't you, uh, I'll send a letter, you know, from himself, introducing you as, as uh, my daughter's boyfriend at the time, um, you know, that you're getting into real estate. And, and that's really where I started um, was was working that center of influence. And to this day, uh, we really focus hard on, on the people we know, our center of influence, uh, not only with myself and in our region, but as we onboard new sales partners, that's our first step. Okay, so let's dive into that a little bit. When you first got your license, how long was it before you started uh, doing some deals and were they from your center of influence? Yeah, they, they certainly were. So, I mean, we have all got these stories of remembering their first sale. Uh, mine was actually a FISBO that was a friend of a family member that, uh, you know, had me out to appraise his property and he didn't like my price. So he tried to sell it for sale by owner. He had went and gone and purchased a home firm with a broker um, and really called me with about two weeks to go and said, I'm in trouble. I need you to sell my home. And uh, interestingly, we sold it for the penny, down the penny 
what I told him it was worth. And from that moment on, I was him and his family's advisor. Um, but, you know, so so I think it probably took me about three to four months to, to get my first transaction in, in the loop. You know, I was working, a, I, I kind of entered like most of us do, part-time. Um, you know, it's frightening to take that jump in and, and not know when your first commission check or your, you know, your income is going to come in. So it probably took me about three to four months to uh, secure and, and get involved in my first transaction. And that was in 2005, I was licensed, first licensed, and, and kind of worked my way into the industry as a, as a part-time agent, like a lot of people do. So when did you transition from part-time to full-time? So it was about 2008, 2007, 2008. So I'd also just finished uh, school, um, you know, getting my degree and wasn't sure what I wanted to do and tried a, a few things. And I think it was about 2008 that I thought I'm, I'm going to do this. So, you know, I'm, I'm now beginning to get a bit of a name um, or people know that I'm in the business, but it was really frustrating early on. I find this an interesting business, although people want to trust you uh, and you spend time building that rapport with them. Um, people also, you want to use the top agents those that are competent, those that they see their billboards everywhere. So I can remember the early days being really frustrated when friends or family, uh, I'd heard that they bought or sold a home and they didn't call me. And I took a personal back then too. Uh, now I don't. <laughs> you know, I realize that you know, some people just don't like doing business with, with family members or friends, et cetera. But you know, there's been a, a direct correlation between what I'll call production or influence within the industry and the confidence that my center of influence now places in me. <laughs> right, definitely, definitely. So uh, when you were talking about working your sphere of influence or your center of influence, you're bringing on your team members, you're teaching them how to do that. How did you do it and how are you teaching uh, your team members how to do that today? Yeah, you know, our practice and even the industry has changed quite significantly in that, in that time frame. Um, you know, one of the things that we do as a, as a team leader uh, and as a team is, is provide an immense value proposition for our sales partners. So, you know, the industry and, and the formation of, of teams recently, you know, it's, it's become really difficult to do everything, I believe, nowadays as, as an individual agent. It's tough to prospect and, and be able on showings and be an expert negotiator and handle the back end side of the business with, you know, the accounting and, and uh, you know, it's, it's really the whole industry has quite changed significantly. I mean, even things like Facebook and, you know, instant gratification that many clients have. Um, so to, to go back into how we started that or how I started doing that, I just started to drip. I heard a, a great saying uh, that really stuck with me and I find myself telling the team members, um, I want your center of influence to think about you in their sleep. <laughs> now I say that in a good way. By that, I mean, I want them, when they think real estate, I want your name to pop up first. So um, it's amazing. I mean, we have a great market share in this region, but I, when I see people I haven't seen in a year or two, they'll say to me, I see you everywhere. That's not the case. We just do a really good job at subtly, you know, putting our brand and putting our image in front of our center of influence. So are you doing that through local marketing and advertising or through direct pieces, right. like through direct mail or email? Yeah, so we've actually really pulled back from, you don't have any billboards, we used to have bench signs, we don't use any bench signs, don't use much print media from the standpoint of our local newspaper. Um, we, we've really done a good job at doing it through, um, you know, drip campaigns and, and email. Um, you know, we're leveraging social media so that, you know, people aren't just seeing our our posts on our feeds, but, you know, they're seeing us subconsciously, I'll call it. Um, you know, we do things where within the team, I've got a mandate, you've got to call your center of influence twice a year. 
just talk to them. <laughs> you know, again, uh, sure, our product that we sell is real estate, but this is a people business. And our clients, again, you know, I truly believe they use us because we're competent. You know, that's the first and foremost. Um, but more importantly, they trust us. So you're reaching out to your center of influence at least twice a year, and you're just calling them up and saying, hey, how's it going? It's been a little while. Is there anything I can help you with? You know, yeah, absolutely. Maybe if they have some renovations happening or something like that. A great, I'll give you a great script. Hi, it's Mike Kettle calling. It's been a while since I've heard from it. You're probably seeing a lot of what's going on in uh, real estate in the news lately. Just wondered if you had any questions about the market uh, or even just wanted an idea of what your home might be worth today. I mean, people love to talk about real estate, don't they? You see it all the time. We all do. It's a hot topic at dinner parties. And when somebody knows that you're in real estate, it's an easy conversation. We all, most of us have a home or rent and, and live in a home. It's a very relatable uh, product that we sell. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And when it's in the news as often as it is here, then uh, it's it's definitely on the top of most people's minds. Okay, yeah. great. So you're reaching out to your center of influence. Now, I know that you have an interesting business model um, a little bit different than most realtors and, and real estate teams. Why don't you talk about kind of where your sources of business come from other than center of influence? Sure. I'll, I'll go back to that embarrassing story uh, that I told about my sister. But it really was, now as I looked up it, uh, upon it, it was an aha moment. Um, you know, I realized I needed to put relationships in place with entities or, or partners that kept sending us business. And, you know, let me start by saying you only get that if you're competent and know what you're doing. <laughs> so it's even more difficult sometimes to have people that you trust or build these networks, you know, as you're new to the business. But but there's a starting point. So we have about what I'll call four or five different feeders into our business. So we do work with one of Canada's largest investment networks, uh, whereby I'm in front of them and, and the team's in front of them quite frequently. We're teaching Main Street investors how to invest in, in income properties and use different strategies, you know, whether it be student rentals or, um, you know, a, a, a flip to yourself sort of strategy. So that's one part of the business that represents about 30% of, of the transactions that we do. Uh, we've got a relationship with a, a developer. So uh, this gives us a capacity to sell new homes, but also farm those neighborhoods um, once, once the communities have been built. And that also represents about a third of our business, 20 to 30% of our business. We put a program in place with one of our large institutions, uh, the, the Hamilton Health Sciences and McMaster University. So this was actually the first relationship I put in place because of some of those doors or connections that I had open to myself, um, which didn't make it any easier, by the way. I mean, it was put in front of me that, you know, uh, I have high expectations. If I'm going to open this door, you better deliver. Right. Um, but so that so we handle... Uh, relocation, any relocation for any new faculty member for, for uh, the Hamilton Health Sciences and McMaster University. Um, and then our resale part of the business is, is quite large as well. So those are really the four. There's been a spin-off from that within a, a referral network. Uh, primarily, we, we see a lot of referrals from you know our, our institution, uh, Royal Page, um, but also from you know agents outside of Royal Page, you know, looking into the Hamilton region. Okay. And how are you looking to foster those uh, referrals and those relationships? Yeah, I think I think a number of them number of them boil down to, you know, quite similarly to, you know, our clients. When you're looking at a referral network, and you know, I'm gonna say it boils down to those two things as well. You've got to be competent at what you do and, and they need to trust you. They need to know once they refer their clients to you, you're meeting at least your expectations, the referring agents' expectations or exceeding those. 
So, you know, part of it I find as a team leader right now, uh, I do spend much more time, you know, networking or speaking at certain events, um, you know, illustrating what we do and, and you know we're in a really interesting era of selling real estate you know whereby most of us are willing to share <laughs> you know the, the secret sauce isn't exactly what I'm doing you know it's it's me or it's you um, your clients use you because you are who you are right exactly well that's what this podcast is all about it's about sharing different experiences and different perspectives yeah. and everyone's got a little bit of a, a different way of doing even the same type of thing so sure. even if someone tries to copy myself and the way that I do things or the way that you do things it'll always come out a little bit different absolutely okay great now I have a question about um, you said that you have developed relationships with developers and mm -hmm. an investment network how would you suggest one would go about reaching out to these uh, similar types of people in their areas yeah, I, I wish that I could say that, you know, by design, when I finished school and got into this business, I had a master action plan. I had a map of exactly where I was going to go. Um, I think one thing that I'm, I've got, one of my unique abilities is, is recognizing opportunity. So, you know, uh, most of these relationships truly came out of a discussion that started like this. Um, and then just the way that I think, whether it's that logical thought process or, you know, um, you know, breathing and eating and sleeping real estate, I'm always thinking, what's our, our next opportunity here? And, you know, to foster and strengthen a relationship. So, you know, I, I think the best advice I can give from, you know, are you going to be able to cold call a large institution in your neighborhood? Perhaps. Uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, discourage anybody from that. I think one of the other, you know, unique abilities that I've got, many of us have in this industry, is I've got no limiting belief. I've got no ceiling. I dare you to tell me I can't do something. And it's not that I'm ignorant. It's just that I won't take no for an answer or I'll never, ever give up. I'll keep trying and trying and trying until I figure out how to do it. So I think those are probably two bits of advice. Think about what your niche or your nuance might be. Um, you know, what makes you unique and relatable to perhaps, you know, one of these institutions or, or as I refer to as a feeder. But also, you know, don't take no and, and, and by that meaning, you know, don't be arrogant about it. But, you know, try something else. If that's not working, then try something else. So I want to touch on that for a minute. You were talking about that unstoppable kind of limitless mindset, and that's extremely important and I find quite common in those that succeed. Uh, now, along the similar lines, when you were coming into real estate, did you have a plan B in mind where if this real estate thing doesn't work out, I'll, I'll do something else? Yeah, I wish I could say again, you know, I'd really look brilliant if I could say I had this master action plan and, and I've executed everything. You know, truly it's it's not being afraid to fail, you know, and, and I guess, you know, I've, I've heard some interesting sayings. I mean, failure is only realized at the point that you give up. <laughs> so, you know, maybe it didn't work this way this time. So I'm going to tweak it. I'm, I'm never going to give up. So, you know, I didn't have any alternative. Um, you know, I guess initially I thought I wanted to be some form of international developer. I talked about that, but I just really enjoyed the people part of this business. Uh, I enjoyed elevating the standard uh, within the industry, you know, creating some of our, you know, uh, internal systems that, you know, what I saw taking place in the marketplace, you know, the, the, the level of professionalism uh, in some areas wasn't what I would have expected. So I'll relate back to it. I'll never forget a, a very influential party in this community said to me, 
Mike, what are you doing getting into real estate? I mean, you come from this, you know, pedigree of physicians, and he was a physician as well. Um, and I said to him, he said, you know, real estate agents are, are salespeople, you know, no different from a car salesperson. Um, and my my belief, uh, and there's, you know, I know great car salesmen. I mean, I know great lawyers. I also know, you know, the unethical physicians or lawyers. Every profession has them. So, you know, I had the mindset of, of real estate is most people's largest asset. They need somebody that's a professional that has the capacity to analyze, you know, to guide them, and, and, you know, through the sales process. Or especially when we're talking about you know, the investment portion of the business, you know, that's really where we needed to elevate our game and make sure that we we're giving the, the right advice. Because as Canadians, most of us think you can't go wrong. Just buy a, a piece of real estate. You can't go wrong. There's no truth to that. I've seen people go wrong. So getting proper advice you know, from a competent and, and trustworthy, um, you know, professional. So somebody who's just getting into the business and they think, you know what, I'd really like to work with investors. Uh, I want to be that, that competent professional. What yeah. are the things that they should really be looking at in terms of analyzing numbers and understanding the data of their market? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you get into that part of the business, it's certainly a more reliable part of the business. You know, you're consulting and, and advising people and they're making decisions based on your guidance. Um, I think, you you know, from my perspective, you've got to have the analytical capacity. Um, there's all kinds of great courses and great networks out there as well. Uh, I was catching up on my, again, I'll talk about uh, ARIA and our RICO requirements um, last night. Uh, you know, we've got to renew our license every two years. And uh, RICO just put out, uh, for the first time, I've seen their multi-residential course. So uh, I want to see what they were educating, you know, uh, salespeople on. So I actually did that course last night and found it, uh, you know, very very beneficial. It's a great uh, segue into getting into that that part of the business. Um, so there are certainly many resources, you know, great networks out there that provide information. But certainly before you start to advise and consult, um, you know, somebody, you need to be an expert, and and that just comes with with time, with experience. Now you started as a lone wolf in this business, right? You weren't you didn't join a team. Uh, yeah. When did you then expand, and and at what point in your business did you bring on some sort of help, whether it be admin or another realtor? Yeah, so I, I see some phenomenal teams out there. Uh, before I get into my experience, um, I'm often I hate to say that I'm humble. People say that frequently. You know, by I didn't have any of this by design. I fell into this from hard work and and you know never never giving up or just trying to consistently push the boundaries. Um, you know, I had that fear. This is going back to about 2000 and. Uh, I think 11, um, you know, bringing on uh, an administrator and taking on their salaries in, in a business that really has, you know, no stability. Um, and it wasn't until I'd landed an account with one of our developers that, you know, quite often uh, we're closing 12 or 18 months out. So I knew I had some fixed income, you know, for the next 18 months. Um, and that was when I made the decision or at least had the confidence to make the decision to bring on a, an assistant. And, and um, Shauna Conley, who's one of my now sales partners, started with me as, as an unlicensed assistant. Um, and, you know, just kind of learned the business from the back end, watched what I did, helped build out some systems. 
Um, and, and that was really the catalyst for me, that assistant came out of necessity. There was just too much opportunity in front of me, um, you know, that I saw I couldn't get back to people in time. Um, you know, I'd hear a call come in that, you know, I, I realized was a lead, but just didn't have the time to focus on converting. So for me, it started out of necessity and it started with an assistant. And, and now Shauna has been with me all those years. And uh, uh, she's one of my senior sales partners. She's in the field. She's a field agent. Uh, and last year she did over uh, 52 transactions herself. So, uh, it, you know, from there, the team's kind of grown into, you know, partnering with other sales partners. Um, and we put them through a fairly um, uh, extensive recruiting program. So I know some teams form out there, you know, based on different needs. You know, my mindset has always been raising that bar and raising the standard and not just bringing on a, a salesperson or a buyer's agent. I refer to all of my people, my sales people as partners because that's what they are. Right. And especially when you're, you know, facing your client, it's a lot easier to hand off to your partner than it is to your subordinate. Absolutely. You know, I'll say to some clients, and, and that's one of the challenges that team leaders start to get into, or, or certainly I did as I went through this process, where, you know, the public wants to deal with the guy, you know, it's the Heddle group, but Mike Heddle, I want to deal with him. Um, you don't. In Brantford, when it comes to a multi-res property, you don't want me doing it. You want Shauna. She knows everything about that marketplace. So that's really whereby, you know, elevating that standard within the team uh, and making sure that we've aligned ourselves with the right salespeople and professionals, but also learning where I need to put off and, and not chase a, uh, you know, what I'll, some of us refer to as commission, Brad, you know, chasing a commission check just because, you know, we need the deal. <laughs> exactly. So are you still selling in your team right now? Yeah, so last year I represented about 40% of the team's transactions, which is a big step for me. I love selling. I love negotiating. Uh, it's a part of the business that I really, truly enjoy, and I think I'm good at. Um, but uh, I also realized that, you know, of, of roughly we're hoping to do over 300 transactions this year. You know, I, I can't touch 50% of those. It's just not physically possible as a father and as a husband, uh, you know, to try and have some of that downtime. And, and really talking about the team and, and the team out of necessity, you know, part of that came from that work-life balance. Right. And I wanted to touch on that specifically. So the benefit of having a team is what? I've heard of people that had a team and they're making less money than when they were going solo, but they yeah. have more time to do the things that they want to do, or, yeah. you know, it could be money driven. What is it for you? So, so for me, I'll, I'll be fairly frank. It is about profitability. Uh, it is money driven. Um, you know, I know what I can earn as an individual, but it forms a balance of a couple of things. We've got a great culture. Uh, it's really fun to work in this team and the people that I've surrounded myself with. Um, so culture is really important to me. You know, bottom line of profit is really important. This is business. If I'm not making money, I've got two young girls that would love to spend every single moment they could with me. So, you know, I'm at a point where that's a bit of a balance. Um, you know, if it's not profitable, I'll just sit at home with my daughters and, and strengthen that relationship with them. Um, you know, so standard of service is the big thing. You know, early on when I'd go on vacation, I'd hand my business off to another agent within the brokerage and they weren't providing, in my mind anyways, the same standard of service that I was. Whereas under the, a team unit, we're able to standardize those processes. So whether I show up for a listing presentation or a valuation on the property, all of my sales partners will come down to valuing that property within probably 
a half a percent of a tolerance either way. So we've standardized a lot of our processes so that, you know, whether I pick up the file or, or one of my other sales partners picks up the file, we know exactly where they are. Now, you know, one of our partners is great and fun and, and I'm very analytical and to the point. So, you know, this is really where personalities do take over and, and finding the right fit within the team. For the it's a combination there of uh, culture and systems, right? So you yeah. have to be in the same mindset and all on the same page, and then you have the systems in order to actually put the actions in place so they get the same experience, right? Yeah, that, that's been the biggest challenge I see, you know, for me as well, being a, a selling agent. And, and I was a top producing individual agent, you know, sell a, a lot of homes. Um, and, and, you know, again, the standard of service was a big deciding factor. The lost opportunity was a big deciding factor to form a team. You know, just having that break, right, with, with my wife and being able to uh, spend time with the kids and the family, that was a huge deciding factor in terms of building the team. So, you know, those would be certainly the, the big ones. Um, but I also, I'm not trained. Well, I went to school, I understand business, but I think a lot of salespeople aren't trained to be managers or aren't trained to manage a business and look at a true business plan that remains profitable. And I think that's the big component for, for those agents that are considering forming a team it is why is it ego driven? You just want to see your name and your sign everywhere, <laughs> you know, is it bottom line driven or is it, you know, service driven? And, um, you know, I like to think for myself that, that ego didn't form any part of it. Um, you know, we're, we're happy to put any of the sales partners on appointments, depending if it's the right fit for the client. So for me, that, that level of service is really what I think we're seeing elevated within the industry under some of the team formations. Now, I think that is a huge challenge out there, and you hit it on the head. A lot of people in our industry, whether they're single agents or even teams I'm seeing, really don't see this as a business and, and treat it as very specific uh, business plans and execution. It's more just fly by the seat of your pants and you know we're making some money and then we're spending some money on marketing and it's just sort of coming in and out and they're not really able to keep track of what's going on. So yeah. people can really fall down a pretty deep hole <laughs> when, when that happens. I've seen it happen quite often. Yeah, I, I think we all have. And I think that even some of the big national brokerages are really starting to study, you know, the profitability of teams and or brokerages. I mean, the, the, some of the brokerage models are shifting. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, we're we're moving into uncharted territory, certainly within the industry. Uh, you know, the industry is changing at a, at a rapid pace. Now, there is one thing I don't know if you've ever heard of Colby assessment. It's a great tool that we use for some of our uh, onboarding processes to make sure that, you know, we understand their MO, their mode of operation, what drives them, um, and are they the right fit to work within the team or for, for the for the position. So we are using some of these disc personality profiles or Colby assessments to make sure that not only is it the right fit for the team, but is this the right industry for somebody to get into? So are you taking team members on that are brand spanking new just getting in the industry? Yeah, so um, I, I'll go back as, as Shauna, uh, who's, who's one of my senior sales partners, um, she had just graduated university. She didn't know anything about real estate. You know, she learned the business from an administration side um, getting licensed and, and then taking time getting out into the field. Um, our last uh, uh, partner to join us joined us in, in April. Uh, he'd been in the business for three years and bounced around, you know, between a few brokerages and just felt there was a lack of uh, mentorship. Uh, there was a lack of, you know, I think a lot of people join a team because they think there's going to be leads. 
you know, I think that's something to be caught to caution. Uh, you know, the big brokerages certainly see leads and some team leaders provide leads. But in my uh, mindset, I think a team needs to provide a value proposition and not just, you know, I'm going to give you 200 leads this month. You know, we really focused on what I'll call the machine in the background. So bringing on that team, that team member, helping work their center of influence through, you know, tested systems and, and models um, so that they become more prevalent in, in their center of influence. And it's also pretty powerful for a new partner, a new sales, salesperson to bring on some experience that I've got. So, you know, what, earlier I talked about my experiences finding it difficult, you know, when I got into the business, friends and family not using me because I was so green, you know, there's a great value proposition there for a young, a young salesperson to join a team where they've got access to, you know, all of that experience that, that some senior team leaders provide. So it's not just leads, it's support that the team provides and uh, an environment of really support all around in terms of mentorship, as well as if somebody has to take some time off or they're sick or they have a vacation, they have somebody else, yeah. like you said, that knows the same systems and will give the same experience. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, all quality of life. And, and we really focus on, on kind of a net concept. So, you know, our sales partners uh, all earn $100,000 plus net. Um, you know, much like if I was going to list your home for sale, you know, regardless of my fees, I think, in fact, I know I could put more money in your pocket than the guy down the street. So that's really part of our culture and part of our mindset is that value proposition. Not only that we provide our clients and getting them outstanding results, but what we provide to, to the sales partners, you know, with our systems and our culture and, you know, that downtime that you get, we're still going to have more opportunity for, for them. Excellent. Now, let's stick, step back a bit. You had talked about systems several times, and when you first brought on your admin, who is now your senior sales partner, um, yeah. what sort of systems did you put in place? And also, what kind of responsibilities were you then able to shed off so that you could focus on your money-making activities? Yeah, I, th I think you know part of it was just determining what those administrative roles were. So for me, at first, it was you know the paper pushing, <laughs> right? And, and we adopted some you know, paper, paperless technologies early on, you know, we were probably one of the early adopters within the brokerage. Um, you know, we were using some electronic signatures on alternative forms. It wasn't up until 2015 that, you know, we were allowed to use electronic signatures on uh, on the agreement of purchase and sale or transfer of title, but we could use it in things like, you know, a buyer representation agreement or a listing agreement. So early on, we were an early adopter to technology. Um, so, you know, adopting those technologies and building out, you know, what those systems look like. Uh, we had built and we had invested in a CRM, you know, before CRMs were really a, a discussion within the real estate industry. I mean, now there's so many of them and, and they've advanced so significantly, but we built out, uh, you know, a CRM to make sure that, you know, we could recall when all those deposits were due for, you know, 100 buyers in a, in a new home subdivision, you know, they all deliver four deposits, just a scheduling from that alone became a nightmare. So early on, I recognized that we needed some of those systems, you know, that was built into our, our CRM system, uh, really from early 20, 2011. Excellent. Now, something just popped in mind that's uh, a little bit of a departure from what we're talking about, but I have a question for you. So regarding working with the developer, I always thought it would be an ideal situation to be able to sit in on a development, help sell the development, and then farm that development afterwards because you already have an established relationship with those yeah. people. Is that something that, that you pursue? 
So, so we do. I'll, I'll tell my story. Um, I was approached by this particular builder in, in 2012. Um, no, 2011, I guess it was. Same time frame that, that uh, Shauna came on. Um, and he approached me and said, you know, I love what you're doing out there. I hear great things about you. Um, would you take on or consider selling one of our projects? And, and in my mindset, whether there's any truth to this or not, in my mindset back then, you were either a resale agent or a new homes agent. You know, you didn't do both. Um, and and I looked him in the eyes and said, um, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to have to think about this. And I think he almost fell off his, his chair because most people would jump at that opportunity. And it wasn't that I wasn't sure about it. It's just that all-in mindset that I had. If I was going to commit to this particular client, I had to be all in. And if it didn't go the way I didn't want it to, it didn't matter. I needed to foresee this all the way through. So not having much experience and, and not thinking that I didn't want to get into um, the new build or new home sales really was was a big challenge for me. And I took the whole week. <laughs> I told him I needed a week. I took a week thinking about it. When I sat back down with him, I saw upside opportunities. So growth for a team, that stability, and then the capacity to be able to farm one of those projects for sure. Excellent. Yeah, no, I always thought that was a fantastic opportunity if you could get it to to really develop a business that's long term. Yeah. Right at the beginning, usually it's first time home buyers. Not always, but usually yeah. it's first time home buyers that uh, approach development. So I just yeah, think that's a great way to develop. Anyway, just to there, there is no, there's some great opportunity. I, I mean, the other thing is quite often some of these developments, but developers want a huge time commitment from their their salespeople. They want to sit on site, you know, six or seven days a week. That becomes very difficult to have a resale business where this particular client, you know, recognized that, that you know, resale, biz, uh, resale, re selling resale real estate was uh, a big part of my business and he didn't have any objections with that. So, you know, finding the right partners is key. So, you know, to contribute to our success, I can't say I secured a developer and that was it. I had an amazing developer that, that appreciated the, the value that I brought to them, but also appreciated my business and, and wants to see me continue to uh, succeed. So that's important as well. And building the team out. So once you had your admin in, at what point did you then bring on uh, assistance for the yeah. side? So, so um, I'll walk through that transition. Shauna, you know, was bright and energetic and great with people. And I could see that there was uh, her a self-fulfilling, I guess, part of, of being in that role was was limited. <laughs> so, you know, I recognized that she didn't want to sit behind a computer nine to five, that she liked being out and, and, you know, really assessing what her needs and providing her with opportunity. I sat with her and said, you know, what do you want, where do you want to take your career? And she said, I think I want to get into selling and, and I want to encourage, I want to encourage that and still do. Um, so we, we then partnered with a salesperson that had some experience with the developer. So that was my second um, I guess I'll call it onboarding with a sales uh, partner. They had some experience with this particular builder and she had been after me for a year wanting to join the team. Uh, and it was just really a nice marriage, I'll call it. Um, she had great experience. Um, she'd been in the industry for 30 years. So there was a nice fit and she just really fit the team. There were some economies of scale you know, to adopting her into the team. And it was at that time that we also brought in and trained a new administrator to just pick up. There were now three of us out selling so making sure that those systems that we that we had built uh, and were in place were were continuously being honored. Now, throughout this process, were you doing any kind of coaching or seeking outside help in terms of how to onboard people and and get these systems developed? 
Um, I, again, I wish I wish I was that strategic. <laughs> you know, there's a, a great saying that I've, I've often found interesting. You know, the harder you work, the luckier you tend to get, or at least it it appears that way. Um, so the answer there is no. I started coaching in 2015, so I've been coaching now for I guess four years. Um, but it wasn't until so my experiences, and I like telling this story because I find it pretty interesting. As we got, um, I guess, nominated or made it into Royal Page's uh, National Chairman's Club, which represents the top one percent, I had no idea what this club was, uh, and I don't want to say I didn't care. I was just naive. I'd never done any networking. Um, I'd never really cared too much about the awards or, or the recognition. And my broker approached me and said, "Amazing! I got amazing news. You're, you're you know, top one of the top 170 agents in Canada." Um, and I was at a real kind of breaking point. I think I didn't have you know much of a model aside from you know my business training to really look at the team, but I didn't have a model to implement. And uh, one of the benefits of of you know, being awarded this club as an invite to a retreat. And that particular year, they held the retreat in Italy. Uh, you know, pretty amazing, right? To be able to go away for work in Italy and spend a week with the top agents in the country. And I didn't know any of them. Um, and that's not like my nature, uh, you know, to go to another country not knowing anybody and spend a week with people. I didn't know what I was in for, but I knew that I would find some amazing people that had built out some, some amazing systems. And what truly surprised me these people blew away, you know, any expectations that I had, just how humble they were. You know, I thought there'd be a lot of egos that, that kind of traditionally fall within this industry. Um, didn't see any of that. The willingness to share was was amazing. It's, it's something that I'd never seen within this industry. Um, so that was really a big eye opener in my business for two reasons. One, it was at that time advised or, you know, I'd spoken with a few parties that had said you really should try coaching. So that made a, that was a big game changer for me. Um, and then the second was the byproduct of networking. Um, so early on when I talked about the different, you know, feeders of our business, you know, last year, about 20% of our business came from referrals. There's a huge amount of dollars that went out last year in referral fees. Um, and that's an amazing way that I think I've built this business. It's a variable cost. I will drive around the city and not see any of our billboards or any of our, you know, fixed cost advertising that I see in many marketplaces. We probably absorb comparable in terms of that marketing cost, but we pay it out in referral, which as a business owner is really healthy for me and really safe for me as well. If we don't transact, we don't have that cost on, on all call it marketing. So, so the second thing that came out of that was, was really how much you know, potential business, and that wasn't my intent, but how much p potential business and, and it came to fruition, how much business came out from just networking and sharing ideas and, and surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals. So for me, that was a true game changer. I, I look back to 2015 and wonder what my career would look like if I had not gone on that retreat. Um, and there's no way it would look like the, the work-life balance that, that I have right now, or even the way that we're able to attract top talent. Uh, and some of our sales partners with some of these other affiliations. Excellent, excellent. So let's take a step uh, into an alternate universe for a minute, if you would. And uh, let's imagine that you're transplanted into another city in North America, or perhaps um, you have a nephew in another city in North America, and they're getting into real estate, and they have to start from ground zero. What kind of advice would you give them to really get off and running? 
you know, that's, that's tough for me to give, and I'll just share my experiences. I'm a Hamiltonian. I grew up, and for many years, most people didn't like to say they were from Hamilton. They thought you'd have a third eye or something like that. You know, I grew up in Hamilton or Dundas. I went to school, you know, university in Hamilton. I have a huge center of influence. And I guess from that standpoint, you know, to be a team leader and, and to be involved in this business, that's one of those things that's probably, you know, fostered that. I recognize that there's a real strong challenge moving into a different marketplace. I don't think with my systems, I would be as nearly successful as I am if, if I just you know moved into, uh, uh, I don't know, Sudbury. <laughs> now, having said that, you know the advice. So I've got um, a couple of sales partners on the team. I'll, I'll defer back to Shauna, who's not from the region. She didn't grow up here. She Her center of influence when she joined the team was one, uh, maybe two, her parents. So, you know, we've helped foster that. I mean, our compensation structure favors agents to build out their center of influence. Um, but here's an agent or a sales partner that, that was involved in, you know, two, the last two years, over 50 transactions in a marketplace that she's got no center of influence. That's really rewarding as a, as a team owner and gratifying to say, you know, I thought I could execute this and we did. So I think some of the advice I would give for somebody that's in a region that they don't have a huge center of influence, I, I see massive power behind affiliating yourself with a team that does have, you know, those systems in place. Excellent. So any parting words of wisdom or advice for those out there that are either just getting into the business or perhaps struggling? I, I think, you know, probably a couple um, have fun with this. You know, I, I, I can understand, you know, we've seen changes in markets. Uh, I know this can be a really stressful business. It, it can consume your time if you allow it to. Um, you know, I, the advice I would give is try to structure your business. Have fun. You need to be enjoying it. If you're not enjoying it and, and if you're chasing commission, that's the other point I refer to commission breath. Don't make this about the money or about the commission. Make it about the client experience or the guidance that you want to give your clients. And I think the byproduct of that will be success. Mike, thanks. Appreciate the insight. Appreciate you taking yeah. the time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. I hope I gave some good insight to uh, all of your listeners. And uh, it's been an honor. Absolutely. So remind everybody where you're located and how to get in touch if they want to send you some referrals. Yeah, sounds good. So we're in Hamilton. We cover the greater Hamilton area. Uh, our website is easy. It's liveinhamilton.ca. Uh, feel free to reach out, even if it's not about referrals, if you want to pick my brain. Um, I'm part of that uh, uh, that agent category that loves to share and loves to network and loves to just share ideas. So if anybody, any of your listeners just want to reach out and have a quick chat, um, I'm happy to. Now, Hamilton, for those that aren't in Canada, is in southern Ontario. Yeah, so we're, we're just outside of Toronto. So most, uh, you know, almost everyone knows where Toronto is located. We're about 45 minutes west of Toronto. If you're looking at a map, we're right at the western part of Lake Ontario. So uh, we're about halfway between Niagara Falls and Toronto. Um, we've got some, we're known as the waterfall community. We've got over 100 waterfalls in Hamilton. It's no longer a steel town. So, so for those of you that know of us from the Thai Cats or uh, think of us as, as manufacturing, uh, we've got some great communities in Hamilton. And create some investment opportunities as well, right? Because yeah, some amazing Absolutely. That's a, you know, it's, it's for the last decade, uh, Hamilton has been, 
seen based on the underlying economic drivers. So things like average income, net migration, we're seeing people from Toronto uh, move out of Toronto. Um, uh, so average income, net migration, we're seeing the effects of transportation into the, into the greater Toronto area. So for the last decade, many economists have forecasted Hamilton to be one of the mar best markets in the country to invest in. And in fact, last year, it, it came out as uh, top three cities in Canada to invest in, you know, based on underlying economics. So if you want to have a chat, you know, we didn't talk much about the investment side of this. Uh, if any of your listeners are interested, uh, we've got some great reports that we'd be happy to share. Fantastic. Thanks so much again for taking the time, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Likewise. Excellent. Take Thanks care. for having me. Bye now. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I truly appreciate you for your support and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, share this all over social media, and especially share it with a realtor that you know that might be having a difficult time finding their own path to success. I'll see you on the next episode.